All right, welcome to another episode of the OCPHA podcast journey series, where we interview different pharmacists about their journey into their specialized fields. My name is Tony, and I'll be your host this week. And on uh, this week's episode, we're actually joined by Dr. Sean Barzagar, and we'll be talking to him about what he does and how he got into his field. So thank you again so much for being on the podcast, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tony. Thank you for having me. It's actually pretty awesome doing this podcast. It's my first time doing it, so I'm really, really excited. Yeah, yeah. It's actually going to be really cool to to listen to what you have to say about like what you're doing and how you got into it. So I guess uh, just uh, to start things off with, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? So to start, yeah, I was I was born in uh, Los Angeles and grew up actually in another country. It, it, it was quite an interesting journey. I was born in LA, was there till I was seven years old, moved to Iran. And at the age of 18, I decided to move back to further my education in the States. I went to college for two years and transferred to UCLA, studied biochemistry. And while I was studying biochemistry there, I pretty much had the debate of what I want to do for my future. So I thought maybe I want to go get my PhD or maybe um, I want to go actually into pharmacy because I wanted something that involved chemistry and you know also biology. So at the end, I, I just decided I wanted to really work with patients and be in the healthcare system. So I decided to go to pharmacy. So um, when I went to pharmacy school, pretty much as a student, I, I did what every other student does. I went on rotations and, and, and my first rotations were actually community pharmacy. And then I really fell in love with the patient interaction just because it was initially the reason I wanted to go to pharmacy school. It was to interact with people and everything, but I but I felt a little limited as of how I can use my knowledge. Time went by and I started doing rotations as a student in the hospital and I just fell in love with actually being able to apply my knowledge. So but so you know, I, I thought about doing hospital work, but but then it was lacking the other component of patient interaction. So that's pretty much when I kind of felt trapped in my in my field because the two most common uh, components of my field, which was community and hospital, each were lacking one part that I wanted. One of them had a lot of clinical work and interaction with other healthcare professionals, but very minimal patient interaction versus the other, which was community, had had a lot of patient interaction, but I was really limited of how much I can use my clinical knowledge. So, so feeling trapped and, you know, seeing there aren't that many options out there, I kind of took the challenge and put myself and I said, you know what, I'm actually going to, if there is not such a field out there, I'm going to be at least one of the first people that's going to go do it, or I'm going to find someone who's done it. And that's how I pretty much got into doing consulting pharmacy. And then, you know, I, and then since then, I've always had this dream that, that pharmacists should be like physicians and dentists and have an office and have patients come maybe quarterly or every six months visit them and then have their medications and go over everything and so on and so forth. So that's pretty much what inspired me to to, to start consulting pharmacy. Awesome. Wow, that's really cool. So I wanted to ask you this too. There's so the term like consultant pharmacy, from what I've heard, mm-hmm. and like it's it it includes a, a lot of different types of like consultants, right? So in your case, yeah. is there like a is there a specialty in your case that you kind of focus in on, or is it kind of like a general clinical consultant pharmacist? So so it, it, when I first started, I, I started as general. But now I'm, I'm becoming more focused than doing more of a specialty. So pretty much when, when I first got out there, I, I tried to go and find people who are doing something like I'm doing and see what are the opportunities out there. Um, the only things out there were doing MTMs, medication therapy management, which I absolutely love, but had to do a lot with dealing with insurances. And it, it was, it, you know, it, it was, it was hard to get into it at the time. And then I wanted more 
than just that. So I'm um, doing all this research. I came across this group of healthcare professionals called the Breathe Institute. And it was mainly an ENT microfacial surgeon who was working on sleep medicine and sleep surgeries for people who have sleep apnea and pretty much have airway and breathing problems. So the surgeon is really open-minded and that's why I started working with them. And pretty much he, he went to UCLA undergrad, Harvard Med School and um, Stanford surgery. And he was one of the very first people that pretty much brought myofunctional therapy into his field. So so I went and talked to him and, and I said, I'm a consultant pharmacist and, you know, I want to kind of snap into app of doing medication therapy management and kind of get more specialized just because I felt like I, if I find a niche, I, I can I can um, pretty much further the consulting and, and add value to what I'm doing. So I talked to him, I told him my vision. And, and when, when we talked to each other, we actually found a, a niche for me that I can I can help him with. So what I pretty much for them, at least right now, I'm, I'm more specialized in sleep medicine. But but again, with them even, it started at a general point. So I started for him doing, he, he was doing a lot of in-house surgeries. So I started doing medication clearance pre-surgery for in-house operations. So I would get the list of the medications. I would go through them. I would say, listen, this medication should be um, discontinued the day of. This medication should actually be continued the day of surgery and so on. And then I did post-surgery pain management for him because at the time he was pretty much using Percocet and Norco. And I talked to him and said, listen, there's an opioid epidemic out there. And then, you know, so I, I, I kind of presented him my idea of pain management and he accepted it. And, and those two factors were initially the reason we started working with each other. So which, which we made a lot of difference actually, especially for the pain management. At the time, as I said, he was using Percocet and Norco and, and I went down I said, listen, there are a bunch of articles out there that say almost 60 to 70% of the people become addicted to these opioid pain medications are actually people from post-surgery. So I took them, I, I wrote a new protocol for him, and I pretty much, my idea of pain management at the time was using ibuprofen and Tylenol, ibuprofen 600 and Tylenol 500, and using that, have you, so do you know about the alternate dosing and, and pediatrics when they do, when they can't control the fever and they do ibuprofen and then three hours later Tylenol, three hours later ibuprofen and so on? Yeah, yeah. So we, we took that concept. I, I read about it somewhere. And then we took that concept and we made that the main part of our pain management protocol post-surgery. So we started using ibuprofen 600 and then Tylenol 500. And then also as the opioid, just in case, we started using tramadol instead of Percocet and Norco. Still an opioid, but you know, has way less potential of being abused. He loved the idea. We started using it and and Believe it or not, we have not dispensed a single Percocet or Norco since. Wow. So, so we started from, yeah, so he, he, he saw the value in there and we started going through all of this. And, you know, post-surgery, we will, we will correct airways and, and then treat sleep apnea, especially if it was a functional or a, especially if it was a structural problem. But then I started realizing something. All of these patients were coming to us and they were on these heavy duty sleep medications. We would treat the underlying problem of insomnia, but we could not get them off of these sleep medications. So I started becoming kind of laser focused and zoomed into this new problem that I was identifying, which is I believe, if not as big, almost will become as big as the opioid epidemic, which is the sleep medication epidemic. So I started noticing that all, almost all of our patients have gone at one point to their primary and they said, I can't sleep. 
and they gave them a sleep medication. They went home, took the sleep medication, and they gave them a good night's sleep. However, they never asked patients if, or they never assessed patients if there's an underlying problem. So these patients start taking these sleep medications. Oh my God, great sleep. I'm a little drowsy in the morning, but who cares? Finally, I'm sleeping. We're not treating the underlying problem. They build the tolerance. They can't sleep again. They go back, they up the dose. Then again, they get some good sleep. While it goes, a little bit goes by, the underlying problem is still not addressed. So they build tolerance, they either up the dose, add a second agent, and that goes on. And then they get to a point that they're like, they freak out and they think, oh my God, I'm getting addicted. So they stop the medication. At that moment that they stop the medication, what we were seeing is now they have rebound insomnia and they have rebound anxiety from not speaking, from not taking their medication, either as a Z drug like Ambien or as a benzodiazepine like Ativan or uh, Tamazepam. So not only we not only the insomnia was not treated, but now we have added a new problem, which was anxiety and, and a semi-dependency on sleep medications. And we, we found out that when we were treating and actually solving the underlying problem of insomnia, we could not get them off the meds because now they were dependent. So, so through that, I actually became now kind of more specialized in sleep medicine for, for this specific, for this specific practice. And I have start, I'm in the process of starting the campaign called the sleep initiative is to pretty much go and tell about the patient, tell to the patients and the healthcare professionals out there that before you get on a medication for sleep, you should assess the underlying problem that is causing, causing the insomnia. So um, when, when we identified this problem, the surgeon, um, he goes around and does a lot of lectures. So he asked me to join him for his lectures on sleep medicine so I can give this talk to all the healthcare professionals out there and all the patients that come in CR talk. So, so I've been actually getting into now lecturing about that and also lecturing about the pain management protocol. So pretty much trying to address the two problems right now. I see that really needs addressing, which is opioid epidemic and, and what I believe is soon become the sleep medication epidemic. So, so I started general and I kind of, now I'm way more focused on the sleep medicine with this practice, but, but that's not the only place I work with. So I do work with other practices as well. I also work with a rehab and treatment center called Nova Vitea, which is in Calabasas. And that, that was another problem I, I started identifying. This goes back about a year ago that I was talking to actually the manager of this place. And, and, and I asked him, do you guys have a pharmacist? Because you know, a lot of these addicts and all, they come in, they're on a lot of antipsychotic medications, on a lot of pain medications, a lot of opioids and all that. And they said, no. So I said, who does the med reconciliation? Who looks at these medications? Because a lot of patients, they bounce between rehab centers. And once they bounce between rehab centers, every uh, rehab center or any physician in there starts adding what they think is the correct medication and they barely ever take off what they used to be on before. So these antipsychotics, these sleep medications, these other pain medications, they start getting built up. And then that's how you end up with a patient who has like 15 medications and just it's it's polypharmacy at its at its finest. So so now I'm starting to work with rehab centers and kind of try to open up a specialized niche there, a focused niche there to deal with the medications for all these rehab patients. And it, it's been fun. It's, it's just been great. You know, it's, it, it's been great to, 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 to see all, to see all these fields that pharmacists 
um, are not involved in and then try to get out there and pretty much get involved because there's there's truly a field for us there. And, and it's just as of now, no one has really tapped into it. Wow, it sounds like you've been doing a lot of things. And, you know, I, I'm always curious about like, how do you even choose or how do you even decide to to move into a specific uh, niche? Like like what you said, you saw the opioid epidemic and what you're seeing now is like the issues of sleep medicine. And I was curious, like, you know, aside from just seeing the trends and patterns, was there anything else that kind of like motivated you to find those niches or... So, so it all started with me wanting to be pretty much be a consulting pharmacist and in the capacity that I wanted to have an interaction, like constant interaction with my patients and, and, and the providers. And, and, you know, it's pretty much once you start getting involved, it's that first step. You take that first step, you get involved, you go in with a general vision, and then you walk into a practice, you get integrated into that practice. And then you start recognizing these problems and you start focusing on them to solve them. And another reason, for example, with the breathing Institute, I, I went in there, I went with the general idea that, you know what, I want to go out there and help them with all their medication related problems. I also, for them, what I forgot to mention is I write their protocols for anything that is medication related. For example, they use Versed in children for doing a tongue tie release. So, so I help them make the protocol and everything. But, but I went there with this general idea. And then as you're in there every day in practice and, 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 and you're working with them, you start recognizing more and more problems. And then you start choosing which one of these problems you really have a passion for and you kind of focus on. So you kind of start broad and then go narrow spectrum. It's, it's how I would say it. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, you you had a lot of experience and I guess I'm curious about in your different experiences, if you had to like pinpoint maybe one or two different things that are your most rewarding experiences, like what would you kind of say that would be? I would say one of the most rewarding things for me is it actually comes with my pain management protocol because we went from our patients, pretty much everyone getting purchased to us getting to the point that saying, wow, you know what? It's not even necessary. And, and every time I have a patient that post-surgery, they go on our protocol. And at the end of the week, I go on cures and I see they have not even picked up their tramadol. That is the most rewarding thing to me because I feel like even if, let's say, 1% of my patients ever will grow or were ever to grow a tendency towards these opioids and let's say I have 100 patients every two months or so. And that, that means I have prevented one person every two months from getting into this problem, which, which I just feel like it's responsibility of every single healthcare professional to, to stop this problem because it, it, is our, it, it is the future for our children and everyone, and it, and it really needs to be addressed. So seeing these changes, even with the sleep medications, now that we go out there and lecture and see all the providers that walk up to us post-lecture and say, oh my God, you know what? From now on, if, if, I, if I have someone that walks in and says, I have a sleeping problem, I won't give them a sleep medication. I would say, how about you go to these guys and see why you can't sleep? Because it's not only the surgeon, for example, with, with, with the Breathe Institute. We have a sleep psychologist. We have a sleep hygienist. Uh, we have a naturopath. So it's really rewarding to see that we at least are reducing the number of people that are getting on these medications and, and, and at least one patient at a time trying to save the future. 
So a lot of students that are going to school right now, they sometimes wonder like, you know, what is out, what else is out there and how can I get into it? And they've kind of been trained to know that, you know, there's like hospital pharmacy and then there's also community pharmacy. But, you know, these avenues of like being a consultant pharmacist, it's not really uh, well advertised yet, right? So if they were to ask you, if they wanted to know what kind of things can they do so that they can pave their way into getting into the consultant side of things, like what kind of advice would you give them? Honestly, it's, it's to follow their passion. It's if if you see you don't fit in, or not not even fitting in. If something does not fit into your goals, don't feel trapped that you have to go because you have no other choice. There's always a way. I I started feeling just like that. I went in, you know, I still got a job at a community pharmacy at the time. I passed on residency because I wanted to make this consulting pharmacist component work. So I went and got a job, but I never gave up. There were, there were a lot of people that told me, listen, like if, if it hasn't been done till now, then, you know, there's no place for it. So just, just you know, either go, go to your residency, do a hospital, go to community and open up your own pharmacy and so on and so forth. But what I would tell them is don't stop. For me personally, every time I hear a no, instead of getting discouraged, I get more, I, I get more courage. Because the, the more barriers I hit, the harder it becomes, the more uh, pleasing for me to is to overcome that barrier. So, so if, they don't, if, they, if they don't think what is out there fits what they want to do, I, I always tell all my students to go out there and make it happen. And, and don't be afraid. It's going to take time. It took me, I, I almost did this for a year, almost for free, just because I had passion for it. I worked another job to maintain myself and I had passion for it. And I told myself, I'm going to do it till the value gets recognized. And once the value gets recognized, then, you know, I can make a career out of it. And I went at it and I went at it and it took about two and a half years really for it to take off for the value to be recognized. And from that value being recognized, all the other healthcare professionals start seeing what I'm doing and they wanted to now start working with me and 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 it started taking off and here I am today. So so just like it, it is with a let's say a business that if someone goes and let's say opens up a restaurant from scratch, it's gonna take two, three years. It's an investment worth making to do what you love. But the most important thing I would say to I which I always say to all my students and anyone who wants to get into a new field is believe in what you do, keep going at it. And as long as you love what you're doing, you will make a difference and people will recognize that difference and 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 your dream will become true. So so that's been how I always push myself. Wow, that's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. For students or maybe if pharmacists uh, are currently wanting to become consultant pharmacists and they wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you if they have any questions? Pretty much the best way to reach me is you can reach me through my LinkedIn. It's um, Shahriar Bazaar. That's actually my full name, but I go by Sean. And um, also, my I have an Instagram page for for my consulting practice, which is called Baziar RX, which is my last name in RX. And then my email is doctor at baziarx.com. Um, I will share all of those with you, so to be posted. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so we'll be posting that information into our show notes. So if you guys want to uh, reach out, you guys can just feel free to go through that. But, you know, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out of your busy day to be on the podcast. And I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot about your journey. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. It was actually a great and 
great and amazing experience to be on this podcast. And, and I have actually been listening to the podcast and really, really enjoy what you do. So thank you. All right. So if you guys like this episode, please rate us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, any of your other favorite podcasting services. And you can find out more about our organization by visiting ocpha.org or you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. But until next time, OCPHA is signing off, reminding you to get determined, get inspired. <laughs>